This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is ufologist Brett Luter, who received his BA degree in journalism from Chico State University in 2000. Since then, he's gone on to write books, roughly 700 articles, and produce DVDs. Today, we're going to be talking about his experience with UFOs, Bigfoot, and more. Brett, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. So how did you get involved with UFOs in the first place? Well, that's a that's a controversial subject. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been approached at uh, various UFO conferences and people go like, well, you know why you're into UFOs, right? And I'm going, well, me, yeah, because it's a really interesting subject. And they go, no, because you've had contact when you were a child. Mm. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you hear a lot of stuff at those conferences. So I just kind of put that on the back burner. But, um, you know, I can I can tell you that I used to watch Star Trek with my dad on the couch. And, um, you know, for a lot of years, I think I maybe idolized my dad as kind of like a Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, I remember watching In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Great show. Uh, Legend of Bogey Creek. Um, Out on a Limb by Shirley MacLaine. The scene in the jacuzzi where she leaves her body and astral projects and then has that white cord connected to her. I mean, I was like eight or 10 years old when that happened. So I've had a a lot of, of those kind of experiences just with TV and media. My, another one, my parents took me to see uh chariots of the gods at the movie theater mm-hmm. when I was super young. So those kinds of things I think um, shaped me. And um, while I went away from that, as I became a teenager, I played a lot of soccer and other sports, went to college at Chico state, which is in Northern California. Uh, played soccer there, and it wasn't until the end of my college career that I had a sighting out in the middle of the valley off I-5 um, that I started to get regain interest in that and kind of remember that, oh, yeah, I used to like all this stuff. And um, ni- around ni- 1996, I got into an auto accident, thought I was going to go down back to the Bay Area where I'm from, San Francisco Bay Area, and become some kind of a salesman, which is a lot of the men in my family had success doing that. And I got in this auto accident, laid me up for about six weeks. And then a friend of mine brought over this copy of this rag from Chico called Synthesis. And they were saying, we, we need we need writers and we'll we'll send you to a music show for free and you can drink free beer. And so I'm like, oh, OK, writing. I was already a public relations major, so I knew how to write. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go drink some beer. And the, and the show they gave me was Dred Zeppelin. So that was like uh, I think it was November of 96. I got to go review my first show, got in free, saw a great show. If anyone's ever seen Dread Zeppelin, it's a mixture of Bob Marley, Elvis Presley, and Led Zeppelin. And it's, it's just that first album, especially, was just, it's classic. So that's what started me off writing. And um, I'd say within the first year, I started pitching to my editor more paranormal stuff, UFO stuff that I could write. And they held me off for a little while. But I finally got one in. It was titled, mm, does this coffee smell good? 
And it was about how Sunday morning cartoons were really prepping people for first contact with the various cartoons um, from Casper the Friendly Ghost to Space Ghost to Thundar the Barbarian. The list is on and on, right? And so that was my first article published about on UFOs. Um, since then, I've written for 15 or 16 different publications. Most of those have published some type of UFO or paranormal article by me. Um, at the time, Magical Blend magazine had moved from San Francisco. Their headquarters used to be in San Francisco. They had their own TV show on coffee, which was Channel 20, if you're in the Bay Area. And they moved shop up to Chico. So they were actually in Chico. So I connected with them, started writing for Magical Blend before they they folded. And, uh, and uh, I was writing for this paper in town called Hump Magazine, which was um, formed by my friend DNA who's now in Santa Cruz. He does comedy shows, great stuff. But DNA helped form the synthesis, kind of had a falling out with the, his co-founder. So he went and formed a magazine called Hump. And um, he put a picture of Bill Clinton on there and a camel. And the idea was Bill Clinton, it was right around the Monica Lewinsky kind of time. And um, and so he thought the whole world was going to hell in a handbasket. She might as well just hump. That was the name <laughs> of the magazine, right? And so the the lady down in... in uh, the Bay Area for the Bay Area UFO Expo, Victoria Jack, the late, great Victoria Jack, um, she was just putting the feelers out for any kind of journalist that wanted to come and give her press. So my editor, not a mainstream publication at all, somehow he heard about it and said, you know, hey, Luter, I got something for you. You're going to love this. I'm sending you to the Bay Area to go look at the Bay Area UFO conference and come back and report on it for Hunt Magazine. And that's kind of how it started right there i wound up meeting a bunch of the big speakers jordan maxwell david ike michael desarian um uh jj and desiree herchak were there that first year i went um and then whitley streber i think was there and then a few people that i have never seen again like peter Phelom. i don't know what happened to him but um all these figures from that first expo were made a huge impression on me and i just knew that i wanted to write about this because you know, maybe I did have some kind of connection when I was a kid. I'm not sure. Uh, not sure how to, I'll stay open to that because I don't know. I was just a kid. Um, and, the, and if mind control works, it, uh, you're not going to know. Right? right. If it's working the way it's supposed to. Well, how many people told you that you may have had contact as a kid? Uh, just a handful of people over the years. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and when I say that, I'm talking about strangers that would just come up to me. Maybe they saw me speak or maybe I'd have a table and I was trying to schlep my first book. And um, and they would just come up and strike up conversations. Some people would say that they've seen me on a ship. Hmm. And I would be like, well, OK, I thought I was smoking the good stuff, but maybe they're <laughs> smoking the good stuff. Right. I don't know. So so I don't know what happened. Um, but uh, when I describe my very first UFO encounter, uh, most people seem to think that that's an indication that I was abducted back in late college. and. Um, and uh, that whole story is a is a it's just a classic. Um, I had a friend that I played soccer with at Chico State. He moved back down to the Santa Barbara area and got a job as a civilian draftman back on the Vandenberg Air Force Base. And at one point, he uh, called me up and said, "Hey, man, I, I got uh, pointed in the right direction on my computer to download this certain file, and you're not going to believe what it says. You got to come down and check it out." So uh, that Christmas, I went down. And circled around, saw some family down south, made my way back up to Santa Barbara, and then we stayed up all night 
uh, drinking and smoking and looking at this 33 page document that I refer to now as the packet. And it turns out the packet was a pre uh, Bill Cooper affidavit that he wrote before Behold a Pale Horse. So it just kind of outlined everything that's in Behold a Pale Horse, you know, that the, uh, the aliens created Jesus, that the, the Zapruder film really showed who killed Kennedy, um, that the, the gray aliens needed to, to abduct the cows to get the hormones in the blood because they had a genetic bottleneck. There's all these conspiracies are all in this like 33 page document. And so um, on my way back from that trip, I'd stopped in Santa Cruz after that. And I'm like, Hey, you guys got to check out this document. Right. And we stay up all night again, talking about the document next night. I'm in Pleasanton as I'm making my way North back to Chico staying up all night. And then th they decided in, in Pleasanton, they were going to go to Reno and party all night. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going home. So as I went home, there's a, you know, you could go out highway 80 up to Sacramento and then take I five North, like up to Redding, let's say, or Mount Shasta, or you could take the hypotenuse of that triangle. That's that's 505, Highway 505. And it's it, at that time, it was barren out there. A few farms here and there. And uh, I had pulled over uh, at my normal place, right, if I need to take a nap or had to go to the bathroom. On this occasion, I had to go to the bathroom. And it's nighttime. And I'm I'm out in the back of my little S10 blazer. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging it out. And I'm doing my thing, just relaxing. And I look up and I and I see this little circular thing going around. And uh, I'm like, oh, that must be one of those kind of UFO things I heard about. And then I'm like, oh, crap, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Right. <laughs> and I'd read a couple of Whitley Strieber books. I'm like, I better get out of here. So so I later on that journey that night, I like uh, drove into a fog bank. And next thing I know, I'm out of gas and I just have barely enough to make it back to Chico. And then and then uh, most people I've skipped a few things, but. Most of the people I talk to say that more than likely I was abducted in that experience because this this UFO craft kind of paralleled me up I-5 as I made my way up north. And um, at one point I stopped at a rest stop to try to go like, well, what's going on? You know, I'm kind of, you know, am I freaking out? Am I losing my mind? What's going on? And I stopped at the rest stop. It's a super windy night. And, you know, at the rest stops, they have those uh, energy saver lights. They're like yellow. And so right across the highway, the southbound, uh, I-5, there was another rest stop, like a counter rest stop. And at one point, the wind blew the trees apart, these giant eucalyptus trees, and there was the UFO like waiting for me wow. on the in between the, the I-5 and the Mendocino range. And then so I'm like, okay, so I got I got to go talk to this one specific friend who I know will listen to me. And that's trying to find the, his house, which is right near, right along I-5, um, near where Highway 45 cuts in. And that's when I ran to the fog bank. So a lot of people say, yeah, I got abducted right then. I don't know that I did, but I see why they're saying that because I've read a lot of the literature that describes similar types of things. So that's what really started me off into UFOs when I began writing about it for Synthesis Magazine, then Hunt Magazine, Magical Blend, Chico News and Review, UFO Magazine. I did a bunch of articles for them. You know, right now I, I do periodic stuff for Phenomena Magazine uh, online. and. Uh, I just determined, Jeff, that this is the kind of stuff that human beings really should be paying attention to. And that, like, for example, when I worked for the Chico News and Review, my editor really liked that kind of stuff because it added a different quality to the paper. But my big boss, uh, Jerry Von Kainel, who founded the Sacramento News and Review and the Reno News and Review, 
as well as a Chico one, um, he supposedly hated me because he thought that that drove, drove away advertising. And, um, and so, you know, that's where I got my real, it came right in my face that people don't business, let's say advertising doesn't really want to know the truth. They just want to make money. Mm -hmm. They just want and eyes so, on their product. That's right. And so that's what was a huge lesson for me that, uh, that journalism was dead at least as long as it didn't fit into the narrative or the business plan of the bosses, whoever the bosses were for any given paper around the country. So, so, um, that was a real eye opener for me. And, um, I, I literally got forced out of the Chico news review, um, over some controversial stuff. And, and it, I felt this certain incident was used as an excuse to get me out of there because the big boss didn't like my, my tack that I was taking. So, well, you mentioned that people should be paying attention more to UFOs. And it seems like we now have more information than ever. And people are probably paying less attention. You know, um, it's a kind of a, a catch-22 because while I, I know why you're saying what you're saying, and that's because my control and public relations work so, so well that it kind of quells that mainstream, that subject from going fully mainstream other than Hollywood, let's say, right? Um, at the same time, that the social media is so far advanced and broad now that it's like, while well, the Hollywood and the media are suppressing it, social media is like putting it out there more. And and so, you know, when, when you see all this stuff, like the Navy, the Navy footage that's been released or the mm -hmm. Tic Tac UFO that the Navy shot and whatever military stuff's are coming out right now, I look at that, Jeff, and I say that's 100%. Those might be true, but it's a timed release of information, which means it's a public relations campaign. And and they're, they know that they're losing the war for information. So they have to release at least a little bit of it to, to try to remain at least a little bit credible so they can have still kind of control and trust of the public. Mm -hmm. they're, they're only releasing as much as they feel they need to to maintain that control because as soon as they release too much and, and the, and the, and the, the sheeple, let's say, uh, actually start to wake up, then control is lost or that you start spiraling down that, that, uh, path towards a loss of control. And, you know, this is what I'm writing about in my, in my current book right now, UFO PR agents of Ascension mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, we never, we never really won that world war II, and the Germans never really got totally defeated. And so the United States is now the battleground for the communists, the Nazis, and for Americans, elite Americans like the Kellogg's or, or the, the Carnegie's or the Rock, Rockefeller's. And it's all a battle for the minds of, of the human uh, consciousness, right? Especially in America. If whoever controls uh, the American populace controls a great uh, power source of labor and taxation and... Um, and an army. So um, public relations rules everything. Mind control is everything. Uh, a friend of mine, Stuart Swordlow, says everyone in the world is mind controlled, even natives that are out in the jungle, even if it's just a little bit. Everyone's mind controlled to varying degrees. Makes and sense. looking around, I would I would have to agree with that. One of your books is titled A UFO Hunter's Guide. Do you consider yeah. yourself a UFO hunter? Ah. Uh, 
I didn't agree with that title. My title was Esoteric Guide to UFOs because that's kind of my handle, Esoteric Guide. I've titled a couple of my DVDs, Esoteric Guide, and my first book is Esoteric Guide to the Reggae Vibe, Song in Your Heart, The Story of the Search for the Lost Notes, the first book. Um, no, I don't think I'm a UFO hunter because, because I'm too honest with myself. I'm not the I'm not the hunter in this scenario. I'm the hunted. Mm. And and I wouldn't even think that that's not even correct because they don't need to hunt me. They know right where to get me if they want me. They could pick me up anytime they want. There's a good chance that that's happened and I just don't remember. And and I think that's true for anyone on the planet. I think that they keep control of all the bloodlines, they keep track rather of all the bloodlines. They know who's going to be born and where. Um, you know, for example, the Mormons have a giant vault in a mountain in Utah where they supposedly have the most sophisticated records of all the birth certificates in the world. Mm. And um, and that's just the Mormons, right? They're not even the biggest religion in the world. Think about what the Catholics have. Do the Mormons um, run Ancestry.com? I don't know, but that's a good question. Because because what easier way to collect data than to run a company like that? And then everyone thinks, oh, look, I want to see who my ancestors were. But really, it's a data mining project to keep track of bloodlines. I could see that easy. Do you think UFOs are coming from underwater, inner Earth, like the hollow Earth theory, from space, interdimensionally, or somewhere else? All the above. All the above. We're, look, we're us humans, man. We're forcing this tiny little narrow uh, spectrum of what reality is. And, um, you know, we don't even know everything about our own oceans. We don't really know what's on the inside of the earth. I, I was just doing some inner earth research the other day and there was this uh, well that they tried to drill in Russia that was something like 12,000 feet, which is like two and a half miles down. And, and all the data they brought back from the core samples did not match any of the, any of the prevailing consensus about, you know, there's a crust and a mantle. Mm -hmm. And then I think a, another mantle, a -mantle. And a, and a outer core and inner core, yeah. right? That, mm -hmm. that is a, uh, a a first grade explanation of what's really going on there and you know science has a lot of value but one of the things that detracts from science is that they think that they know everything and that they think that they need to project that image onto people that they know everything when really if you just say i don't know i think that goes a long way towards building credibility with your public or whoever's listening to you so so just that one video alone shows you we really don't know what's going on inside the earth. So when you talk about Shambhala or Agartha, or um, if you study Diane Robbins stuff up in Mount Shasta, she, she talks about Telos, which is a city beneath Mount Shasta, supposedly. Within that, that uh, cache of knowledge, there's a Porthologos, which is supposedly the library of the Akashic records here on earth inside the hollow earth. I mean, there's, Traditions like this all around the world, um, you know, uh, Xingwei, I think, is in Mongolia, Shanxi, Xinghua, Shanxi, um, I think, is in the Himalayas as well. Then you got Posed City in Brazil. You got Rainbow City, supposedly, in the, in the Antarctic. Um, so, I mean, the what I look at this from a public relations standpoint. So there has been stories of the hollow earth for at least hundreds of years. And then if you if you 
listen to this, like say ascended master traditions from Tibet or India, or even from Mount Shasta through St. Germain dispensations, they're talking about these things are thousands of years old, that humanity has been in its, its most advanced state for millions of years. And we really are in our advanced state now, but we've just been put to sleep. Well, so anyway, so if, if this is true, if that's true, then there's been a public relations campaign being perpetrated by the inner earth people to slowly repeat these messages over thousands of years that there's hollow earth cultures that they're very advanced and very spiritually advanced they're oftentimes giants they're they're um uh they use high technology including ufos or crystal technology seems to be common themes and so you find a lot of these common themes in all the stories and so i just kind of put two and two together i kind of took a long time to figure it out i kind of kicked myself i didn't see it sooner but whenever you see a repeated uh pattern of information over time that's either an advertising campaign or a public relations campaign if it's if it's not straight advertising to get customers which is what advertising is then it's public relations so that's basically what my book's about is that there is an ongoing public relations campaign being perpetrated by the inner earth people and some occupants of UFOs towards the surface to lead us towards ascension. That's essentially what my book's about. And um, do I have 100% proof that there's hollow earth? No, I'm going, I'm just reading on patterns. I'm just looking at patterns over time and throughout history. And um, what I'm doing in the book that that adds to the whole lexicon of hollow earth stuff. And it's, I mean, you start getting into that stuff. It's hard to add new stuff to the hollow earth research. And and my theory about that is because the gatekeepers of that information, the people in the hollow earth, have only let out so much information over time. It's a very controlled release of information, timed release of information, and they only allow people in or out uh, by very strict rules. And they don't allow lots of people in and out. So it's not like some kind of tourist place. If you're allowed to go there, the theory is from a wide variety of traditions, that's because they know you're coming and they're, they're inviting you in. Otherwise, you're kept out. You're the all the entrances are holographically blocked, or you're they can send messages to you to lead you astray on the path. Whatever. So, so do I think some UFOs are from the Hollow Earth? Absolutely. And um, you find this kind of stuff if you study the work of Nicholas Rorick, uh, the the East East Asian explorer. I think he's of Russian descent. That's who Hitler sent to, to Tibet to find Shambhala. To make contact with the secret societies of Shambhala, so that Hitler could, you know, hopefully uh, get enough power to win the win World War II. And um, Rorick says that, yeah, when you when you as he's talking to lamas of all kinds from different monasteries, he's he's finding out that when you're on the path of Shambhala, you oftentimes will see a UFO, and the idea is that you see which direction it's heading, and that's the direction you go. You follow the direction of the UFO. So so absolutely, UFOs are from the inner earth. Absolutely, UFOs are from our government, other governments. UFOs are from other planets. Um, there was a book in 1957, I think it was, by Kelvin Rowe called Call It Dawn, classic UFO book. And through his contact experience, he says that the ETs told him that all the planets in our system had were hollow and had civilizations on the inside of them. So, um, yeah, so they're from other dimensions, other times. Uh, other planets, other solar systems inside the Earth. UFOs are 
like a, as an old friend of mine who since passed away, he used to say UFOs are just the Fords and Chevys of the universe. They're common everywhere except here. For the audience, Brett and I just met for a few minutes before we even started recording. And Brett, you probably don't know, but the majority of my videos are interviews with near-death experiencers. And I even have some of these guests have contact with aliens during their near-death experience. Do you believe that, you know, these ETs are hanging out in the astral as well? Well, it depends what you think an ET is. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first question. Um, not everyone thinks that they're they're actually aliens from other planets. A lot of people think they're uh, astral entities. You mentioned the astral, which is the plane of existence or dimension right above the Earth. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting subject, Jeff, because on Earth is very tricky for a human being. And we are so easily fooled, right? And so, so near-death experience is very close to a dream, which is very close to a vision or a hallucination. All of them can overlap, even though there might be some distinct differences there. Um, I I stay open to this whole idea of of uh, demons as a possible candidate for aliens. I don't know if all aliens are demons, but I think at least some of them are portraying themselves as aliens as a way to get in on individuals and one of the most compelling things that i have found that points to that conclusion is the work by joe jordan out of florida he used to be the uh, mufon state director of florida and so he started doing his own uh, abduction studies within his group and uh was starting to find more and more people who were being abducted would shout out the name of Jesus. They would recite scripture or sing a hymn and the abduction would stop like that. And so, and so what does that mean? Does that mean that all aliens are demons? Not necessarily, but it means that even if they're not demons, at least some aliens respect the Bible and respect the power of Jesus, or they wouldn't be just stopping. I mean, if they didn't care about Jesus, they could just be like, let that person talk all they want. We're taking them. We want their, we want her eggs or we want his sperm. We want, we want to, you know, we're anal probing, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so that tells me that uh, there's something to this idea that not all aliens are who they say they are. And, and once you can get that through to yourself, then that opens up a huge possibility of them being, not aliens, but any number of things, fallen angels, um, ghosts, uh, archons, um, lower astral entities. Um, that, that's a, that's a general summarization of the different kinds of beings that are out there. Um, so, so, you know, near death experience could be staged. Apparently we have that kind of technology now. Um, there's my lab events or military abductions that happen with people where they stage an alien abduction, but it's really the military gaining genetic samples or uh, installing mind control programs, or or maybe it's other advanced beings that are, are doing their own genetic breeding program, which, you know, guys like David Jacobs have reported about, several people have reported about possible genetic breeding programs, hybrid breeding programs. So, so a near-death experience, I think, is on its own and pure self is, is a valid thing, 
Um, at the same time, these beings, whoever they are, uh, know more about us than we do. They have more advanced technology than we do. And I think it's very possible that they could use something as a near-death experience as a vehicle to get close to one of their subjects, one of the humans. So I do think that's real stuff. But at this stage, I, I'm just super skeptical about all that. Some of my guests have even expressed that they woke up on a pod, kind of like the Matrix, during an NDE. And if so, what is your thoughts on us possibly living in a, in a hologram or some type of Matrix? <laughs> well, you know, when you study DNA, DNA is like an example of a hologram or a smaller bit of a hologram of a larger, uh, larger, bigger bit, which is our reality. And, and so, you know, <laughs> I think the the safest ground in this area, Jeff, is to admit that we don't really know what, what our reality is. I mean, at a certain point, we have to draw the line somewhere just so we could move forward and live our lives, right? Otherwise, we'll go insane thinking about all this stuff. You know, you throw in a little LSD or mushrooms and then it's like, wow, we could really take that out there. But um, reality is a very fascinating subject. Who and what are we? That's the, that's the whole biggest question. What is this reality? Is this a staged event? An experiment? Are we in a Petri dish, so to speak, right now? And, and um so once we become aware of that, is the experiment still valid? Um, or are we supposed to become aware of it? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, clearly, we did not evolve out of a, a pool of muck a million years ago because it got struck by random lightning and it created life. That's a that's a total bunch of crap. We We were seeded here by other beings, whether you want to call that God or the Pleiadians or whatever. We're, we're related to somebody else out in the cosmos. What does that say about our reality? It says that, I think it says that humanity has not fully grown up yet. We're still cosmic children. And if this is a holographic construct that we find ourselves in, it's, I see that as like a playpen. And that when we can, we can surpass duality and and find out who we really are as conscious spiritual beings, having a human experience, so to speak, um, then we'll be able to see past the construct. But are we a holographic universe? Well, I I would say at least to one degree or another, I, I think that's right. I mean, I've read that book, The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. Or was it David Talbot? So Talbot. And, um, and The Holographic Paradigm by Ken Wilber. And all those books really told me was that we really don't know what our reality is. We don't. Our history has been removed from us. Uh, the nature of our true spiritual power has been removed from us. And, and the powers that be that we trust to tell us these things are lying to us. So <laughs> where does that leave us? And discernment is, is really tricky. So how are we supposed to tell what's going on? How are we supposed to find our ground? Um, really identifying this reality as a holographic universe to me is some of the most concrete stuff we could grab onto. Okay, it's a, it's a hologram. 
and we're just a smaller part of a bigger part and dna is a smaller part of us and it's just in levels like that that's something at least i can wrap my head around um but do i know that it's a hologram no but i see signs that it is i think that the billy meyer ufo case is one of your favorites for those that are not aware of it, can you share some of it? Yeah. So back in the early to mid 70s, this uh, bright silver spacecraft landed in a field in, in Switzerland. And um, this humble farmer, Billy Myers, uh, greeted a hot blonde babe named Semyase. And, um, you know, I, I got all kinds of places I can go with that. I'll go to that after I set this up. But. Uh, this humble farmer and Samyase sat under a tree and she told them about the history of the human beings in the galaxy that were really from Lyra, which is from uh, towards the center of the galaxy. We've migrated out for hundreds of thousands or millions of years, set up shop in the Pleiades, and that we're, us humans are related to them. And um, it's an ongoing case. It's been going on since, I think it was 74 when it started. Don't quote me there, but it's like 72 to 74, somewhere in there. So you're looking at 50 years, roughly, of this case ongoing. Michael Horn is is uh, the biggest proponent of that case. And Michael Horn, as a researcher, claims that Billy Myers is the only true contactee on Earth. Something that I find to be um, hard to believe. I'll stay open because I admit I don't know everything. And, and it's hard to know something anyway. But um, it seems like there's sure a lot of other contactees around. But um, Billy Meyer has been the mouthpiece for this civilization, the main one, and they are trying to bring technology to Earth to, to clean up pollution, to help us elevate our vibration, raise consciousness, and, and uh, bring about a new age uh, to humanity. And that's it in a nutshell. There's all kinds of hair-splitting avenues to go down with information that Samyase has dis dispensed to, to uh, Billy Meyer. But as time has gone on, there's been other contactees with Samyase, like the late great Dr. Fred Bell. Uh, he wrote the book, Rays of Truth, Crystals of Light. Rays of Trite, Rays of Light, Crystals of Truth. It's one of the two. Um, do I have it on me? No, I don't have it on me right here. But uh, it's basically about laying out the conspiracy, what people call the conspiracy. Uh, the New World Order conspiracy, the the families that control the world and they control the finances. And then it lays out plating technology after that. Um, are you familiar with Rob Potter? I'm not. Okay, so Rob Potter's a, a Pleiadian and Venusian contactee. He's up in Mount Shasta and he does the summer conference every year. And, um, and Rob uh, was a little boy when he went onto the ship with Dr. Fred Bell that was underneath Lake Mead at the time, Semyase's ship. And, and then um, after that, you know, he, he was this hunky volleyball beach stud from like Venice beach. After that, he got into like a, it was a car accident or motorcycle accident or something. Um, and has, has sustained injuries since then. He's still, he's not full all the way back yet. Super nice guy. Um, and so he's like, so it's this ongoing chain of, Venusian, or excuse me, Palladian contactees. Barbara Marciniak is another one. As as I think about it, I'll think of more of them. But but uh, so the Billy Meyer case spawned all of that stuff. The original investigator Wendell Stevens, who has since passed away, 
he was a friend of mine. We had many conversations. I've done a couple interviews with him. Uh, he's written some great books and the patterns that are laid out within Wendell Stevens uh, UFO contact books are apply. They're like archetypes. They apply to all these other cases. And of course, the biggest one of his uh, investigations was the Billy Meyer case, where I think there's six or eight books that he's written based on the Billy Meyer case. There's that much information that has come out about the history of humanity or politi politics or propulsion systems or so this is one of you know a lot of people talk about roswell or maybe bentwaters in england two huge cases but the billy meyer case is probably the mother of all the cases and if you're going to be serious about studying Uf ufos you want to get into the billy meyer case and at least take a cursory look at at some of that stuff like the like the two first coffee table books produced by Wendell Stevens and uh, Lee and Britt Summers, Lee and Britt Elders and, um, and Wendell Stevens and uh, still some of the best and most controversial UFO shots ever taken. And um, yeah, there's your, there's your Billy Meyer case in a nutshell. What is the most shocking thing in your opinion that was revealed about his case? One of my threads is that I like studying this idea of who are the aliens really? Are they who they say they are or are they are they lying? And so the Billy Meyer case becomes front and center in that discussion because of this figure, Samyase. She's all through the Billy Meyer material. She's through the Dr. Fred Bell material. She's in the, in the Keys of Enoch by J.J. and Desiree Hurtak. They're communicating with Samyase as well. And um, I even did an interview with J.J. and Desiree to ask him this question is that Semyase, spelled S-E-M-J-A-S-E, is that the same being as Samyaza, S-A-M-Y-A-Z-A-A, from the Book of Enoch? And they said, yes, it is the same figure. And so I'm going like, okay, so do you know who that is in the Book of Enoch? That's the leader of the fallen angels, Samyaza. And I'm like thinking to myself, okay, I'm looking at stuff through a public relations lens, right? Mm -hmm. If you're coming to earth and you're trying to uplift humanity, you want to gain their trust because you know you have good intentions in your heart and you want to give earth uh, inhabitants and beings, you want to give them this higher technology so they can clean up their oceans and clean up the air and uh, have uh, free energy and uplift their vibrations. You're trying to gain their trust so that they will take this information, right? From a public relations standpoint, I would say if I was the Palladians public relations guy, I'd be like, don't call yourself a name of a fallen angel or the leader of the fallen angels because no one's going to trust you as soon as they put two and two together. Yet here we have this being that everyone trusts. And she's given us this. She's first of all, she's a hot babe, hmm. right? Samyase, if you see the, the artist renditions of her or even the the controversial one or two pictures that might be out there. She's a good looking girl. And, and I could just see the devil, the leader of the fallen angels, let's say taking the form of a hot babe, just so he could sucker this humble farmer guy who probably hasn't seen uh, more than up an arm sleeve of a woman his whole life. Right. Um, so I'm looking at this and I'm going like, okay, wait a minute here. So this being who 
takes the name of the leader of the fallen angels who supposedly knows our history better than we know ourselves because they were supposedly around. They have a much longer lifespan, supposedly. They want us to believe what she says is true. So I just, that's a huge red flag for me, Jeff. Why would you, I mean, call yourself Steve. Don't call yourself, don't call yourself Beezlebub or Lucifer or Samyaza. Because that's just, that's going to, you know, I'm just surprised more people haven't noticed that. So, so for me, from a spiritual standpoint, that's the biggest thing that shocked me from that case was that realization that Semyase might not be who she says she is, or she's telling us straight to our faces who she is. And if you're familiar with business at all, there's four ways to, to handle a contract. You can, you can uh, agree with it. You can counter offer, you can argue with it or stay silent. And if you stay silent or argue, that's called dishonor. And that means that the contract offer can move forward. So if you've ever, uh, skipped out paying on your credit card and a couple months later you get a letter in the mail from a third-party debt collector who's saying you know you owe this amount of money and if you don't respond to it if you stay silent that grants legal rights to that third-party debt collector to move forward in court and get a judgment against you okay mm -hmm. so you can you can um stay silent or you can argue those are both in in uh dishonor you can always agree with any contract offer and then everything moves forward everyone's happy there's a meeting of the minds there's full disclosure the position of power to always be in is a counter offer. So you always put it back on the offer's table, right? And then you're kind of off the hook until they come back with something, right? And then you counter offer again. So I use this technique with uh, law authorities a lot in court. Works great. But so let's let's look at this. So Samyase says, okay, I'm Samyase. I'm from the Pleiades. And, um, and I got all this stuff for you guys. Here's your true history. I'm here to like help you guys save yourselves or to, or to save you, whatever. Right. They actually refer to themselves as, um, an, an, an Ishwish is for the man or an Ishrish is for the woman. And those are like semi gods. They call themselves. Right. And those, those are Palladian terms. I just said, that's from the Billy Meyer material from mm -hmm. Wendell Stevens. And, and, and so, so what does humanity do? Largely we've stayed silent because not many people really know about the Billy Meyer case. The ones that do agree with it. So, so I'm looking at this and I'm going like, nobody stopped and counter offered this and said, okay, okay, I conditionally accept your your claim that you're who you say you are, Samyase, uh, upon a prom proof of claim that you can prove that you're not Samyaza, the leader of the, of the fallen angels, that you could prove that you have the best intentions of heart. I mean, these are just like basic business questions. If you, if I went to offer you, Jeff, I have a, a million dollars for you, Jeff, and I want to loan it to you, and there's no strings attached. Sounds great, right? But aren't you going to want to ask me some questions? I'll accept your million dollars, Brett, if you can prove that there's no strings attached. If you can put it in a contract that there's no strings attached so I can feel secure about that. If you can show me how I would enforce uh, uh, a breach of contract, then I might agree to it. You know, these are just basic business questions. So humanity has largely stayed silent to the Billy Meyer case because few of us know about it, right? It's just if you get into this stuff, then you know about it. And and ufologists, I would have to guess, are 0.001% of the population. So that's not enough for a global, uh, uh, any kind of anything else other than stay silent. We're silent on this, which means that gives her the, 
the green light to move forward. So that's the main thing I take from the Billy Meyer case. There's all kinds of hair splitting avenues to go down for those that are interested. Um, it's fascinating. Earlier, you mentioned Mount Shasta, and you've also yep. produced a couple DVDs on the subject. Yep. I think that's a hotbed of UFOs, but I think there's also Bigfoot sightings in the region too. Do you think that there's a connection with UFOs and Bigfoot? Absolutely, I do. Um, in 2007, I was at the Bear UFO Expo. I, it's basically where I sprouted my antlers, starting in uh, 1999, and it ended in 2010. I went every year and met all the best speakers on the circuit. And one of them who I'd never heard of was a man by the name of Kiwani Lapsaritis. And Kiwani Lapsaritis, uh, for a short time, became kind of my spiritual teacher. And I was invited up to his house three different times to go have uh, Bigfoot experiences. Well, he wrote a book called The Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection. I'd never seen a book title like that before. When I saw the book title, <laughs> I knew I wanted to go to that guy's lecture. And I was going to read his book. I literally read his book in like three days. It just pulled me right through. All these different psychic Sasquatch stories that he has where they're talking to people, where they're where they're putting sounds in their head or visions in their head or appearing and disappearing. They're shape-shifting, they're interdimensional. That was his second book, Psychic Sasquatch and their interdimensional connection. So um, I absolutely think that there's a connection. Uh, in particular, they're around Bigfoot. I learned... Um, through experience in 2021 during Li during Lionsgate, which is a astrological time between I think August 7th and 12th, where the the window to manifest is is very is is open for people. If you have really strong thought power, you could manifest um, more of what you can than you can throughout other times of the year. So, I had had a dream from from December of 2020 saying that I needed to be on the mountain in August. So I, I, okay. So I always kind of held that in that that's what I was going to do. So I literally quit my job with the tree company so I could make sure that I made it there. I didn't know it was Lionsgate actually until afterwards, but it was, it was August 10th and I, w I knew I had to be on the mountain. So I went up to the place where everyone goes. It's uh, called the parking lot up above Panther Meadows campground. And um, I just wasn't feeling it. Right. So I went over to the kiosk where it shows all the hiking trails and stuff, like an aerial view of the mountain. And I see this one little trail on the on the north side of the mountain. I said, you know what? That's where I got to go. And, and I'm not normally a psychic guy. I'm usually pretty dense, really. But um, I'm like, I got to go. This is where I'm going. So the next day I went and uh, spent the night with a friend and weed. And then that next morning I, I went there myself. We couldn't find the directions. Nobody that I knew in Shasta knew the directions to get to this place, which was surprising because it's right there on the map. And um, and a, a friend of mine pulled it out of her, of her hat. I don't know how she found it. Some obscure website on, online and sent me the directions. So I followed the directions through the wilderness. Luckily and not luckily, the lava fire had just raged through weed and the north side of Mount Shasta. That was in 2021. And I was literally driving through smolders were still coming up, even though the fire crews had left. So I found this trailhead. It was all burned out. Um, I decided, you know, the trail's gone too, but there was a creek up there. So I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to follow the creek up because I'm sure the creek is going to hit the waterfall. And that's where the, that's where the trail was leading up to these supposedly beautiful waterfalls. So I started up the creek. It's a dry creek, bed, it was a little muddy on the bottom. So, you know, water had been through there at some point. 
And of course, I'm saying prayers the whole way up because I'm trying to keep my thoughts pure and uh, and really and ask for protection. And uh, about two hours in, Jeff, giant branch crash <laughs> up on the bank. And I'm I'm down in the creek bed. And at this stage, the banks are at least 20 feet high. And, and it's all rocks in front and behind me. So it's not like I could run anywhere. My first thought was not Bigfoot. My first thought was, oh, crap, that's a bear or a lion. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I don't got any weapons because that's what Kiwani taught me is that you go out into the woods with no weapons and you just project love and family and warmth, brotherly love, you know, sisterly love. And that's how you attract a Sasquatch. Well, I wasn't actually trying to attract a Sasquatch. I was trying to go to Telos because that's why I thought I was supposed to be on the mountain, right? That's what my dream said. So I, I'm like freaking out at first, right? That was my first reaction was freak out. It took a few minutes for me to calm down. And then there was another branch crash closer to the edge. And so I stood up on a rock trying to see, like I could, from where I heard the sound, I thought I'd be able to see something there. Nothing was there. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, so it's not a mountain lion because a mountain lion would have attacked me from behind. That's what they like to do. So it must be a bear, right? And so then I'm, th I'm thinking to myself, there was a stalemate. I'm standing there perfectly quiet. There's no, there's two branch crashes so far. Nothing else is happening. You know, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm really quiet, maybe I could just scoot up the creek bed without making too much noise and move past it and just keep going. Right as I thought that, Jeff, behind me on the same side of the creek, another branch crash. And I'm like, oh, it's Bigfoot. First, because if it was a bear, I would have heard it walk from the first area of the branch crashes to the second. And there was nothing, right? And it's all burned out by fire. So it's all crispy branches and dried leaves. And I would have heard it walk. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm remembering my teachings from Kiwani. They could read my mind. And it read my mind right when I said maybe I could just sneak up and keep going. It branch crashed behind me as if to say, you're good. Go forward. Hmm. So that's what I did. That's how I interpreted that. So I moved forward. I went about another quarter to a half a mile and sadly i have to say i was not in shape enough to keep going it was pretty arduous getting up to where i was um i'd normally i would be really fit because i played soccer for 40 plus years and um i'd been off that was uh i was four years off at that point and i was a little overweight admittedly and i was sucking wind plus the air was still really smoky from the lava fire so so i decided you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna stop on this one flat rock Took a couple pictures with my cell phone and um uh and said i'm you know can you can you guys come out and wave to me at least or something since i can't make it all the way to the waterfalls nobody came out of course and so i made it back to my my car i was so tired by the time i got back i sat i had ice chest i drank some water i sat in a chair i'm like man okay it's getting late i better make it back to my friend's house and i went to get up and collapse that's how tired my legs were so it's kind of like this whole ordeal right so I made it back. We had dinner, spent the night. Next day, I was meeting with a tech guy who uh, did the cover for my law DVD, an American law primer. And um, and they said, oh, by the way, we, we have this guy we want you to meet. And so I said, OK, sure. Invite him. I'll, I'll buy him lunch, too. So this guy shows up. His name is uh, Michael Walsh. And he wrote the book, um, The Sasquatch and the Spiritual Warrior. And he's a, a local Mount Shasta author. And and so. As I'm describing this story to him, as I just described to you, 
He's like, that's almost the same scenario that's in my book. And so when I, in, in the book though, it says that the Sasquatch or the ancient ones are the guardians of the threshold of Lemuria. So I'm like, wow. So I made it up the dry Creek bed to the threshold of Lemuria and it was greeted by the guardians. So that was information. So that was like a little synchronicity the next day from this author who I, who I probably wasn't random. Um, so that's my little Bigfoot uh, Mount Shasta story. Bigfoot's all over Mount Shasta. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you seen any UFOs in, up there? Every time I go up there. I'm I'm over it. I'm ready for him to land at my campsite and get out and let's have, let's just talk. I mean, I've seen so many. Mm. So um, yeah, there there's, I mean, I spoke for uh, Andrea Morgana who channels Hiawatha. She lives up in Mount Shasta. She had this event called the best of Mount Shasta. I spoke there in 2014 and 15 in 2015 uh, over, over the course of that weekend, two different gentlemen came up to me and said, I had business on the mountain. So, of course, on that Saturday, I closed up shop, closed up my table, and hightailed it up there because that's all you got to do, twist my arm, right? And I'll go up and check it out. Long story short, um, on my way back down from the mountain, I I met this interesting individual. I don't know where he came from. He wasn't dressed in, like, a Lemurian garb or anything. Um, But his hair was really slicked back, really nice, like Val Thor's hair kind of looks like. And he kind of acted a little peculiar said his name was randy joseph and that was that seemed a little off to me and if you've read any bud hopkins books about the about the breeding programs and stuff or or abduction scenarios sometimes the ets don't quite get it right a little off you know like their ties on crooked or their names weird like i kind of thought this guy's name was a little weird so that bud hopkins books kind of came to mind when that happened so i don't know he could have been a human but on my way back down i was walking down and just just had this thing to look back over my shoulder and between the big peak and the small little peak across from the parking lot formed a v and in the v a little silver disc went zoop. didn't come through this side and didn't go out the other side just right between the two so you know was that one of the silver beacons from shambhala i don't know but but um i took that as a sign that i was on the right path and just keep doing what i'm doing hmm. so yeah, Shasta's, I love it. I'm going up, I'm speaking in Shasta again. Uh, it'll be my fourth time speaking about Shasta, and that's August, uh, March 24th through the 27th at the Living Truth Summit 2. It'll be held at the Masonic Lodge. I, I sent you a little poster of that. Peter Moon of the Montauk Books is going to be there. Good buddy of mine, Brad Olson, who's got like 10 books out, and he's on all the shows right now. He's super hot. Um, uh, uh, John Shin does uh, Sacred Geometry. There's a Native American guy up there and uh, Gary Crump, I think his name is. And um, Jonathan Shalimar has put together a great lineup of people. Anyone out there interested are going to be in that area. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be a sm- little bit of a smaller event. And in my experience, those smaller events is where the magic happens. So I love it up in Mount Shasta. I've got what I call my Mount Shasta family up there. Affectionately, I consider the Bigfoot as part of that family. And um uh yeah it's a, it's a great time i always have fun at mount shasta what can you tell us about the reptilian aliens um <laughs> so it depends who you talk to some people say the reptilians have been kicked out of here already i don't think that's true at all um a friend of mine a montauk project survivor Stuart swordlow 
I met him in 2006 at Conspiracy Con in the Bay Area. And uh, we sat down, had a beer. I said, told him I'm a journalist. I want to do an interview with you. We had a great conversation, just private conversation. A month or two later, in the summer of 2006, I got him on the phone and tape recorded an interview. And um, through the course of the interview, I mentioned to him, you know, and he talks all about the reptilians, right? Where they're from, why they're here. They might have had a hand in genetically creating us. Um, they have underground bases all around the world. Uh, if you do your inner earth research, you can go to like East India. They have this legend of Patala, which is Patala is a seventh level of the seven levels, but all the seven together are called Patala as well. And in each of these different levels are demons or serpent deities, they call them. Um, so there's traditions of this. The, the Mayans have traditions of serpents, Quetzalcoatl. That whole uh, ilk, uh, Viracocha, down further south in Peru. So according to Swordlow, that's all because these reptilians have been here since before us. They helped they help create us. Well, so as I'm talking to him, I'm, I'm mentioning to him, you know, Stuart, I really have this desire to go to the inner earth. I want to go see the hollow earth. He chuckles. He goes, Brett, he goes, he goes, even if you found an entrance and you're not going to because they're holographically covered. He goes, if a reptilian saw you there, they would just kill you because they, they're, you're of no consequence to them. You're beneath them. You're like a chirping little dog at their heel and they're just going to step on you. And so I'm like, you know, okay, I'm just kind of bummed about that, right? Because I really want to go see the hollow earth. I mean, once you know about that, of course you want to go see the hollow earth, right? I'm, I'm not alone in that. And so he goes, you know, Brett, look, the reptilians control everything. He says they monitor everything I do and they're listening to us right now. And so at that stage of my learning, I was kind of freaked out by that. I literally, for a couple of seconds, I thought I was going to just hang up on him. Took a deep breath and I'm like, no, okay. So we kept talking and he says, yeah, you know, if they want you to see them, you know, they will show themselves to you. And so I'm like, okay, you know, and we kept talking and later on in the conversation, he describes their, their spaceships are not like silver disky spaceships, like a standard UFO. They're more like a, a meteor where they're kind of oblong with sparks flying out all around him. And he went so far as to say when hail bop came around and it actually broke into three parts, but in the middle of it, he said was a reptilian ship from their home world in the Draco constellation. And it was using the hail bop as cover to spy on the reptilians that were here because tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years ago, uh, they left a faction here and then they broke away kind of a breakaway from the home uh, civilization. So they were coming to kind of observe or spy on these people because they were starting to consider Earth their own and, and not be a part of the Draco-like empire. So I was like, you know, I kind of took that with a grain of salt at the time. So the next, and we talked about all kinds of wild stuff. You, you got to get Stuart Swirtle on your show if you can get him. Um, but the next day I played soccer in Chico and afterwards we would we'd be on the west side of, of i-99 highway 99 and then we'd go over the overpass to a shopping mall where there was round table pizza and we'd always go get pizza and beer so i got out of the game pretty quick to try to go get my place at the round table because we all sat at this round table and uh i got stopped at the light as the as the traffic coming from the freeway got to go over the overpass or go hang a right and go down 20th street the light turns green, Jeff, and as I'm tilting up, it's a rather steep overpass. As I'm tilted up, 
all of a sudden out of the right side of my eye a f- oblong fiery craft shooting sparks up on the top out the front a little bit a little bit on the bottom and then a long one's out the back and i'm like that's exactly how stewart described it and it just slowly descended into the highway 70 canyon um where there's all kinds of sightings in that 70 canyon and that confirmed for me that stewart was telling the truth they decided to show themselves to me they threw me a bone so to speak and um and ever since then i i listened to everything stewart says <laughs> since you come from a pr background and if you're looking through a pr lens do you think that there's going to be full disclosure anytime soon nope because it doesn't service the elites it doesn't service the oligarchs agenda you mentioned a new book that you're working on what is the title again and when will it be released so it's called agents uh, it's called i'm sorry ufo pr agents of ascension and so it's basically about there's there's good guys let's say in the ufos there's good guys underground there's bad guys underground there's bad guys in ufos and then there's a spiritual hierarchy of good guys and bad guys just to oversimplify and the basic struggle between the two sides is the good guys are trying to bless you. The good guys are trying to gently steer us towards ascension without violating our free will. The bad guys are trying to, to, to block us from going to ascension and keeping us in, in like a a loop where we eat, sleep, drink, have kids, uh, die and then our kids do the same thing on and on and on and it becomes like a free energy machine for these interdimensional beings like archons or lower astral entities or ets of some variety where they can harvest our spiritual energy in in a variety of ways whether that be psychically like a psychic vampire could suck our energy off and we don't even know how to defend ourselves or through like i like to talk about like through taxes taxes is a is a way to siphon money off of people, off of people that transfer wealth from the masses to the elite. And and also money is a symbolic spiritual representation of our of our soul energy, of our spirit energy. And so and so we're being extracted in multiple ways. We're being fed off in multiple ways. So that's what the bad guys are trying to do. They want to keep their perpetual energy machine, human beings going through time it, with our blinders on. Uh, constantly producing our labor and they're sucking their our spiritual energy off through taxes or straight psychically um and then the good guys are like no we can't let this happen the america uh, humans got free will they want to go to ascension all beings in the universe want to ascend and grow and learn and love and so that's essentially that's the that's the book um i'm in i'm knee deep right now and and um (laughs) it's it's i'm writing about the hollow earth now in two chapters and it's um i divided into ancient hollow earth tales and then more modern hollow earth tales and getting the information straight has just been a nightmare because let's just say for shambhala there are so many different versions of what's going on with shambhala even like within tibet there's different ideas about how to get to tibet you can you can hike there if you're if you're worthy if your karma's right if you've been invited um, or if you've been invited in a dream, or if you've seen a sign like a UFO, like Nicholas Rourke talked about, or you, some people say you have to die to get there. You can't get there unless you die and reincarnate there. Others say that you have to have a dream or you have to have an astral projection. So um, 
just getting that all straight is 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 a uh, has been tough. And then so I have many inner earth books, hollow earth books. And um, when you start getting into all the books, you're starting to see that they all have the same information in them. So you have to keep going back to older and older stuff. And so when like if you're getting to Shambhala, man, there's very few texts. There's there's ancient Tibetan texts or East Indian texts that talk about Shambhala. But that's it. There's there's only a few of those. And so it's hard to quote from those unless you get a translation, but then there's different translations. So, uh, you know, Agartha, same way, even more obscure. Uh, Patala, the East, East Indian city, or Bogavati, supposed to be a reptilian city. Um, very little information unless you're going to go talk to one of the lamas. And then and then there's several researchers that have done that. So Rorick's done that. Andrew Thomas wrote a Shambhala Oasis of Light, which I'd recommend for everybody. Um, uh, he's one of those guys that went over there and talked to some of the lamas, lamas. I've even talked to Sean David Morton and he's been over there to Nepal and talked to some lamas. So I was pretty impressed by that. Do you feel certain that there is a base or bases inside the hollow earth? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't know because I haven't been there yet. I'm hoping to go there, mm-hmm. but either there's, there's bases or cities in the hollow earth or in the crust, both or human beings on the surface have made up all these stories of the hollow earth for thousands of years. Now I'll stay open to that, but pre this civilization where the dark forces have tried to take over the civilization. That's what our whole civilization has been about really is a spiritual war going back thousands of years. If you study your Zechariah Sitchin, the 12th planet, goes back 450,000 years when that, that race of Anunnaki came here, um, started genetically tinkering with us. And that's supposedly the advent of evil on Earth. Um, there's other scenarios like that. William Branley in Gods of Eden paints his own scenario. That Michael Tessarian paints a little bit different scenario in his books. Um, before that, there's no reason to fake any of this stuff. Because they're, they're, nobody's trying to just, there's like a golden age before that. So there's no... At least from what I see, I don't know. I wasn't there, right? I'm just looking at historical records that we have available to us and try to extrapolate and think critically the best I can. So I don't see a reason for for them to have to deceive people because I think in distant past, say, Atlantis or Lemuria, let's say, the knowledge of people living inside the ground was probably common knowledge. It was just that's the way it is. There's people on the surface. There's people under under the crust. There's people in the heavens. UFOs are coming and going. That's just part of life in Atlantis or Lemuria. In this life, in this incarnation of society, all that stuff is suppressed because the dark forces do not want us to know, humans, to know who we are, where we came from, and what our true power is. And through that, then, they can maintain control or win the battle. Brett, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Sure. Yeah. That's the best right way now, to... you, yeah. Best way right now is to reach me on Facebook. Just uh, Facebook slash Brett dot Luder. That's B R E T one T Luder's L U E D E R. And um, yeah, I answer questions on Facebook all the time. Um, I love talking with people about this stuff because uh, you know, this is not stuff covered in the mainstream. Once that I, and I don't think I'm the smartest person in the world, right. But even at my level of intelligence, 
I was able to realize the importance of this information. So I feel like if this information was actually known on a wider level, people would, would look at things like money or oil or politics completely differently and make different choices for themselves and their families. So that's why I do this. I'm very passionate about it. Um, I haven't learned how to fully make a living with it yet. So I have to do other side jobs and stuff, which is fine for now. But um, but I think I'm doing what I came here to do. Yeah. So I, I can be peace with God with that. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, I'm, I'm just full steam halfway through this book, UFO PR, Agents of Ascension. I would like to think it's going to be out by the end of March so that I could sell copies in Mount Shasta when I lecture at the Living Truth Summit. Um, but uh, I so that's the only thing I'm working on right now. I got an upcoming article for Phenomena Magazine about the origins of magic and my take on magic. I have a, a kind of a fresh perspective on that. that. That'll be coming out probably September, October of next year. Um, and then I'll get right into my volume two book. It's called Tales of a Heavy Heart. UFOs, magic, and impending doom, and that's the the ongoing story of the of the roots reggae rastas that I described in the first book, "Song in Your Heart," part of the esoteric guide to the reggae vibe trilogy. That book will will I'll work on that starting in the summer, and um and then just more recently I did my American Law Primer. It's a double disc DVD where I talk about the magic and occult practices in law and how they use the name. You know, if you study cult magic, name magic is one of the biggest categories of magic. So like um, like Solomon building the temple, he was able to learn or discern the names of the of the angels. Some say demons, depends what uh, tradition you look at. But once he had the names of these beings, he was able to command them around. Right. So name magic is a real broad category of occult magic. And um, and so the powers that be, the Illuminists, the Freemasons, the Secret Society, Mavens, the witches, um, the sorcerers, they use the name magic against us with the all caps name. And so I do a whole disc on the all caps name and how how they how that hypothecates our title and then how they use that against us. So if we agree that we're the name, then they can apply all of their statutes and codes to us when really we should be living uh, under the common law uh, as a flesh and blood human being. And there's no crime until there's an injury, a demonstrable in injury, instead of all these statutes and codes where it's administrative and they're just pilfering us of money. So you got the taxes where they're ciphering off our spiritual energy, you got excess fines and fees and ever increasing uh, DMV laws, you know, motor vehicle laws and a, a whole uh, other term of legalese that people don't know about these definition of words that we think we know what they mean. Anyway, all this stuff is used against us. I cover all that in the first disc. And the second disc is about how to use a demur, which is a common law document that challenges the jurisdiction of the court, uh, how to use a demur to beat a traffic ticket. Hmm. So so I'm pretty proud of that DVD, um, but it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I've had a big, big thing with the cops in my area. So it's really, uh, you know, as they say, in, in uh, I think it's Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. And so the, the cops here have been hard on me. And then as I learned what they were doing, what their racket is with traffic tickets, I've been hard on them back and they do not like me in their courts anymore. Do you find these books and DVDs on a website or on your Facebook page? Just right now, it's just on my Facebook page. I've tried to have a website twice and both times it got hacked. So just life pulling me in other directions. I haven't got back to my website yet. I do have a new domain. I just haven't developed it yet. But right now, Facebook is the main, main thing. Um, 
and um yeah i got i got the two books i got song in your heart story search for the lost note it's the story of the roots reggae rastas and and their role within the global struggle for the control of human consciousness so guys like bob marley weren't just smoking a bunch of weed and shagging a bunch of women they did a lot of that but they're also on a mission from god to change consciousness on earth right and the second book of course you mentioned is a ufo hunter's guide i appreciate that and that was in 2012 by wiser books and you can get that on amazon too and i don't have any more copies so that's really the only place you can get it um song in your heart you have to get them right for me i just ordered a fresh batch of 100 copies and um and then also i had the the two main dvds i sell american law primer that's 30 bucks and then the best of inside Mount Shasta is the is I give a, two different lectures and a booklet based on uh, my dealings with the ambassador to tell us Diane Robbins and what I learned from my time with her at Mount Shasta. So those are the four main things that I'm, I'm selling right now. And um, otherwise, see me in Mount Shasta in March at the Living Truth Summit, too. Well, Brett, before we finish up, can you leave us with one sure. last positive message? Uh, get your houses in order spiritually. Uh, um, get rid of your negative baggage. Emotionally heal. Get rid of your past traumas. Heal whatever relationships are in your life. Um, uh, clean up your thoughts and your thinking to try to attract uh, positivity towards you. So no matter what goes on around you, if you keep your thoughts straight and positive, you will create your reality around you. And you'll be able to make it through. Brett, thank you for that message, and thank you again for being my guest. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.